Welcome to Heart on the Mic, a show where we talk about life and are shameless about telling our stories because we know the value of speaking up. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This week's episode is the second half to the interview with Karina Carpio as she discusses her experiences as a foster youth and where it has brought her to today. Here we go. What encouragement would you give to someone who has been in your shoes or even can't get over of their their childhood trauma, whether they were abused or feel abandoned by their parents? What advice would you give them or what got you through your darkest days? I'm going to throw a statistic at you. Okay. Um, I like statistics. It's statistically proven that a person who has been abused once in their life will be abused again later in their life. It's just you know, statistically shown that, you know, that happens more frequently than not. And because for a lot of young girls, that is the case. It's usually a family member. You know, it's going to happen again, potentially later in your life. And not to like expect it, but to understand that living right now is just one part of your story. And holding on to little bits and pieces will hold you back from the entire rest of the story that's to come. You know, acknowledging that one day you can be in a car and die in a car accident. Will you have lived every day to its fullest? Will you have chosen to be happy in that moment every day? Have, will you have done everything that day that you wanted to do or fulfilled you or made the people around you feel loved or made you feel loved? holding on to these little aspects of our story just keeps us in that space of negativity and ugliness and just holds us back from what's to come. You know, there's so much more out there and it's hard to say that to someone, you know, especially a young person because in their minds, this is the end all be all, you know, and it's just, this is the worst it's ever going to get. But let me tell you, it can get so much worse. I lost my best friend. I lost my childhood. I lost my, my partner in crime. I lost my everything. My whole world crumbled when I lost my brother. And before that, I thought being raped was the worst or being molested by my grandma, grandpa before that was the worst. You know, my ugly childhood was the worst before that. You know, there's just so much... There's, you just look at the person next to you. They could have had something far worse than you. And acknowledging that you are just a small person in this big, big world kind of makes that egocentric thought of yours evaporate. Like, I'm not the center of the universe. People have it worse. Yeah, my struggles are hard and they're true and they're mine. But I'm going to use them as stepping, stepping stones to become what I want to do what I, what I want to be in the future, you know? It's just, it's hard to say because a lot of young people, again, just they're so stuck in their now and in their pain. And Well, because they want people to empathize with them because going through that type of trauma, majority of the time, they're coming from a dysfunctional household so they didn't get a parent, a parent to properly help them cope and process just like you. So then not only um, processing their trauma, they're still having to deal with their daily dysfunctions on top of that event. And I, I totally see it in my girls to where 
they just want people to sit with them and feel sorry for them and just stop there. And I would hope for them to realize, like you said, that this there's a bigger picture. Like, yes, you have your sorrow, your trauma, your pain, your grief, but there's so much more to this life than just that situation in your timeline. And not only that, even in a bigger spectrum, people who are have, have gone through situations that are so much more traumatic or even life-threatening that they're working on overcoming. And I feel like it's important to remember that um, just resentment and bitterness can totally rob you from that path of growth. Mm-hmm. Just staying stuck on that, it's going to keep you from being able to go forward. And like you said, using whatever it is as a stepping stone to go forward. Yeah, it's true. People like, especially when I'm sure the girls you work with have struggles and they're they're not pretty. I'm sure they're very ugly struggles. And they're going to find people who feel sorry for them and want to help them and will sit with them and have those pity parties. They will. But one day when they turn 18 and when they're adults, people aren't going to be so keen to sit with them and have those pity parties. They're going to ask them, okay, well, what are you doing now? You know, like, okay, you're an adult now. You can't blame everything on your parents or your struggle. Now it's a decision you make every day. Are you going to stay here? Or are you going to be more? Are you going to use it? It's true because once they age out and they don't go the right way or even for people who aren't in the system, but they're still living in a dysfunctional household. And for those parents who are like, once you're 18, you're out of here. I'm not taking care of you anymore. I'm not legally responsible, sadly. Like, what what are you going to do? Do you have a job lined up? Do you have somewhere where you can stay? Are you going to end up couch surfing when you're 18? Like, it's sad to say that people are in those situations, but if you know you're in that type of situation, be proactive and prepared. Look for those people that are willing to help you and mentor you, or even if you're over 18 or no, no matter what age you're in, but if you're trying to overcome in this specific conversation, a dysfunctional household or a dysfunctional family and try to come out of it, have some type of plan. You don't need to wait until you have enough money saved to move into your own apartment, or you don't need to wait to save for a car. Like there's a bust, there's shared living, there's friends, there's people who care about you. Get creative, think outside of the box and really just do what you can to get yourself out of the situation safely is what I can say. Because I know some people are just like, you know, he's just so this and this, if I leave, he says he's going to do this and this to himself or to me, but it's like, your voice is very powerful and don't let your abuser make you feel like it's not. Because once you speak up, there's going to be somebody to support you. I don't know why I just went on that tangent, but I feel like <laughs> I had to say that. Because it's so true. I've seen it. I've, I've pers- literally personally seen it where I've been with the person and they were with an abuser and I was literally at their house the day that they decided to leave, to grab their kids and go. And mm-hmm. it's a very ugly situation to see and to experience. But for them to be able to drive off and know that they're going somewhere safe and to be relieved and to no longer be abused is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Because the whole time they're in that relationship or they're in that household or that dynamic, all they're being told is that you're worthless, you're nothing, and basically your property, you know? 
when in reality, you're so much more. Yeah, it's true. That victim mentality is just like um, addiction. You can get stuck on it if you're not careful. <laughs> I think that's one thing my brother and I always said, we won't be victims. And that's something we also learned from my mom, which I'm grateful for. She always told us, you guys are survivors. And so we were, you know, we are. What was your closest to pity party moment that you had to get yourself out of? Um, honestly, it, I, <laughs> the most recent would be my brother passing. Mm. I didn't want to go on in a world where he wasn't breathing. And, um, mostly my pity party moments were when I was drinking, of course, because <laughs> <laughs> naturally I, I dived into the, the, the beers, <laughs> but, um, I just was like, man, there goes my, my lifetime, my lifetime's worth of memories and my lifetime worth of like childhood and my future, like the future where we plan to live next to each other and have barbecues. And for me to take care of his hundred kids he'd have with like 50 different women, (laughs) you know, it's just, I thought it was all over and I just didn't want to be here. And, um, that was my biggest pity party moment, but, uh, you but know, <laughs> yeah, I made a choice. I was like, I actually got hurt by a boy and I was like, oh my God, I can actually feel sad about something other than my brother. Okay. There's still life today. There's still life here on earth. And I thought about my sister and I was like, I can't leave here, leave her to fend for herself, you know? And Also, the fact that I teach children for a living, you know, and it's a passion of mine. It's a purpose and it's come, it's fruition that's come from my childhood, my life experience, my loss. And I remember going to work one day and I was, uh, the mortuary had just called me and said, my brother's ashes were ready to be picked up and I was on my lunch break and I went back to work and I started crying out on the playground and it was kind of inappropriate around children. And one of the boys came up to me who was just the cutest little boy. And he said, Miss Karina, what's wrong? Did something happen to your brother? And it it was just so heart-wrenching, you know, and he gave me a hug and I was like, wow, this little boy's life is being molded by me. I'm the first impression this boy has to learning and life skills, basically. I'm the person teaching him right from wrong. You know, he's in a preschool where I am. I have the ability to shape and mold his mind in his beginning years where, you know, he gains the tools to deal with these sorts of things when he's older. You know, when you learn how to deal with complex emotions like that, you know. That was, anyways, that was a roundabout way to tell you about my uh, pity party moment and getting out of it was, it was rough. It took me a while, but I did because I just had to recognize that life was going to be different. I was going to be different and um, there was more I had to give to people, you know, more I wanted to be. You had to figure out your way to do life without him here. 
Yeah, and I still write him letters, so I feel like in a way I talk to him, and occasionally I have dreams about him. So, <laughs> speaking of you teaching kids, who are you now, despite your upbringing and your past and the loss of our beloved Badfish? Mm-hmm. Who has all that made you to be today? I am a lifelong learner. <laughs> I will forever be learning life lessons and I think I'm softer, more compassionate. I think before brother's accident, I never cried. I thought people who cried were stupid. (laughs) Yeah. I was really irritated when people cried, but now I get it. The hard part about mourning too, when you're one of the people and you're like, I look so stupid crying. Ugh. Well, I looked really stupid then because I couldn't breathe. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, but you know how you think that, or at least I think those things. Ugh. I'm like, I looked so dumb crying, or like so. a like a Kim Kardashian ugly cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I think um, I'm more compassionate to towards children I am able to recognize when you know they are being abused because you have to be a mandated uh, reporter to work with children so you know keeping an eye out on whether or not they're wearing clothes that fit them or they're eating nutritious meals or you know watching them gouge out other children's eyes or choke themselves it's you have to ask yourself where are they learning these things I think my childhood my my loss, my grief, my abuse has, I think, sculpted me into the most perfect person for what I do. I'm aware of the ugliness life can give you, but I'm also appreciative of all the beautiful things that life has in it, you know? And so I think working with children, I'm able to see all the beautiful things, all the bright eyes and the the just new learned lessons that, you know, you see in children's brains when they explode. And, you know, then I'm also able to watch out for people who are hurting them. Well, you definitely are not a statistic. (laughs) Talked about statistics earlier. Do you have any other statistics to refer to about foster children? Because you guys are more likely to end up in jail without furthering your education and continue the cycle but that is not the case for you today instead you're educating kids um are attending college continue to further your education in montessori coursework Mm -hmm. and just a rock star teacher so uh above the statistics that's for sure well thank you thank you and you are not a team mom so that's always one of the high-ranking statistics in there. <laughs> I know. I'm much appreciative, much appreciative of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I couldn't do my job the most effectively having a child at home. Kudos to those mothers who can. I chose not to be one of those, so that's the choice I made. But it, it's, it's true, though, that those are just the statistics at hand for you, you know? the likelihood to be a team mom is higher. The likelihood for you going to jail is higher. The likelihood of you being a drug, not only user, but addict is higher. Everything else skyrockets, you know? So I'm glad you're able to 
not be a statistic in those ways. I think it's helpful to also be very self-aware of who you are and where you also falter. You know, like I know when brother passed away, I started drinking a lot. My outlet was drinking and drinking and drinking. And, you know, easily I could have just made that a habit. Mm -hmm. Um, And then let that habit fall into an addiction that I couldn't kick. But, you know, it's having that willpower and that self-awareness to be like, okay, now this is getting out of control. I just tripped on a stair and busted my face. (laughs) So this is not who I want to be. This is not, I'm not okay with this. Hypothetically tripping on a stair and busting your face, right? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That actually happened. Um, but that, that's a reality. There's, there's people who will go through whatever traumatic experience, happen to turn to some type of substance, have grace from their job because of the traumatic experience, and then continue to ride that out and not have self-control, lose their job, lose their house. And it's just so, so sad to see people not be able to overcome that and ha- to have to face those types of things on top of their traumatic grief and loss and just sorrow to deal with those ripple effects of of them trying to cope and figure it out I mean grief is just a whole nother level I honestly couldn't even put it into words but you know I I can't blame those people who get lost in it because it's so easy to it's so easy to but I mean honestly you know, before, when he passed, I, the word I kept using is I'm stuck here. I'm stuck here. I'm stuck here. And, you know, I had to change that. I had to change my thoughts and be like, okay, I'm not stuck here. I'm just, I'm just here while you're not. Mm. One day I'll be with you, you know, but that's not today. And, you know, you're forever in everything I do, you know, it's just kind of changing your mind frame because, that's the only thing you can change. You can't change the accident. You can't change the event, but you can change your mentality on it. Your self-talk. Yeah. You encourage or discourage yourself. Despite all of the, the chaos and the drama and the heartache and the struggle, like I'm able to speak to people and help them out of it. You know, like, like we're doing today. We're talking about things that are hard and ugly and, but they're true and they're, Things that everybody goes through. Everybody. You know, at some point in your life, somebody's going to die. Unfortunately for us, that was like five people in the span of a year. (laughs) But that's our reality. And so, you know, having people who can relate or talk about it freely and talk about the ugliness and kind of process it and not move past it because it's never something you can move past. But use it. Utilize it as fuel to propel you to do something more, be more, continue to live. To help you be self-aware, to have some type of moral compass through it all. Um, thank God my, my work had a lot of grace on me. Um, yeah, they were very kind during that whole season of my life. <laughs> Are you there? Yes. <laughs> I was like, did Zoom kick us out? <laughs> Did he hear me though? No. Oh, I was just asking if there was anything else you wanted to touch on in closing. Well, first and foremost, I hope I didn't offend anybody by what I said. 
Uh, just life is hard, you know. The unexpected comes, and just when you think, you know, you've had the worst of it, something even worse happens. And that's not always going to be the case, of course, but sometimes it is. And especially if you're living and you grew up in struggle, you tend to live in struggle as like a default because that's just what you're used to. You're used to the chaos around you. It's normal for you. Just, you know, kind of know that it's not normal. I mean, you could sit in the garden or by the pool and listen to the wind blow. And that could be normal too. You know, that could make you happy. You could travel to Hawaii and lay on a beach and get a beautiful golden suntan. And that can be normal. So normal is relative for everybody. And if you're not happy with where you're at or, you know, you're just not happy in general, you know, make a change, change your mind frame, take, you know, take some time to sit and think about what you, what you want to, who you want to be in the next 10 years or five years, you know, acknowledge the fact that things are going to happen, things that you didn't plan for, just know that they're going to happen. So when they do, you can accept them, feel them, go through them, and move on to the next stage in your life. Move on from survival mode to thriving. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for letting me pick at your brain and talk to you about all these things because not a lot of people get to engage in these types of conversations with you. (laughs) Yes, you're very special. (laughs) I'm very fortunate to be able to have these conversations with you. And you also allow me to make it readily available on our podcast, just because like you said earlier, you wanted it to be raw and relatable and to the point, Um, no beating around the bush, even if it meant putting our family's dirty laundry out there. So be it. It's your truth. And I will wrap it up here, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Heart on the Mic. This is Ness and Karina, and we're out. Bye.